Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. All right, all right. It is to see you all. When there's not as many people in here, it definitely feels more quiet. So anyway, um, so I'm going to need you to be especially, especially responsive today. I, I was about the building though. Like you don't understand. Like I mean, I, I do want to honor uh, Aaron, um, not just for the for the videos. But, you know, a, a lot of the, a lot of this comes just just from this particular gifting and just his his eye. And so, um, been a lot of blood, blood, sweat, and tears that have gone into this place. So thank you, thank you to Aaron. Thank you to all all of you. You generously give, give. So we're grateful. Um, yeah, renewal begins here. Okay, okay, can get into into any kind of kind of movie. I, I just kind of am a movie guy, um, mainly because I love storytelling as an art, and so it has to be pretty bad if I'm not, I'm not going to get to it. Uh, but the older I get, the the kinds of movie movies that are the most are the kinds that portray just this pure level of joy. And so, so I was I was thinking about thinking about our past morning. I was thinking about the 1971 classic Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right? Not the the more recent recent Johnny version. I mean, who takes artsy and just goes way over the line to, to weird. Um, but I really like like I really like the, like the 1971 version. So if you're not not familiar. With, with the story of Willy Wonka and, and the factory, um, it all centers around this little boy named Charlie who has um, basically come, comes from our household. He has this pure love for people and this pure love, love for chocolate. And there are, are five golden tickets that are scattered all around the world for um, people to have a kind of behind-the-scenes tour of Lee Wonka's Chalk Factory, a place that's, that no one has ever, ever set foot in. And, and as I get older and I watch that film, it actually is a critique of consumerism, like at its best. There's this worldwide panic in are going, going after clip bars, and the people that have the most actually end up with the least, and the, pe- the people with the least end up with the most. And so, I don't know if you knew that, you knew that about the Chocolate Factory, too, but that is your... Um, introduction to to it and but there's this scene and I, and I, I don't think it have picked the care character or the little boy any better that I just I just want to share with you because it kind of kind of gets at everything that we're going to be talking about this morning. this is a scene where Charlie get his gold ticket and um, he all hope was lost and then he opens up his Wonka chocolate bar All right, there you go, Willy Wonka, right there, there. So, um, what's significant about that, and how that, that ties into what we're going to we're going to be talking about? What you wait for, right, shapes the the joy you actually receive. It. I mean, I mean, this is just a boy that was waiting patiently and with with hope, and he he actually really believed out of out of all children in the world world that he was received that gold that gold again. and so to see the joy. The joy on his face when he receives it. I mean, that's 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 a little picture of what um, um, our response to gospel is is meant to be like. 
where there is this sense of wonder. And so all, all of Advent is about this, this, this idea of wait, waiting and longing and anticipation. And for several weeks, we've been kind of building up to this point. And today, today we're going to look at a, a, a couple of people who have been waiting their, their whole life for the, for the appearing of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. And we're going to be able to look at, at their longing and expectation and see how we, how we actually wait now that Jesus has come. And so we're going to see that as we look at the story of, of in Simeon from chapter 2. We're going to read verses 22 to 38. Uh, normally I would have you stand, but this is a lengthy passage, so I'm going to read and read it. And you just follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As written in the law of the Lord, every male who first of the womb shall be holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for, for revelation to the Gentiles, glory to your people, Israel. And, and his father and his mother mar- marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon being blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, behold this child is a point, point for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a, for a sign is. Uh, opposed, a sword will, will pierce through your own soul, soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there, and there was a princess, Anna, and the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did, she did not depart apart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Coming, coming up at the very hour, she began to get, give, give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, now, now we want to just encounter you, encounter you through your word. I pray, pray that you would, in this, in this sin of waiting and anticipation, and that you would give us a sense of what it means for, for that hope to be consummated, that hope to be, to be experienced, that hope to be realized. I pray for real, real people that are a symbol for me that real, real hope break out, um, that your mercy and your grace would reach into the broken spaces of our lives, that you lift up our eyes off of our, of our circumstances on, on our Savior, and that, it, and that it would make a huge difference in how we walk out, out life in this present world. It's in, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to look at a few things this morning as we kind of see what it does it mean to wait and hope. 
light of the coming of Jesus. And the first thing we're going to see is that Advent means hope for a whole new world. Um, so we're going to look at what is, what is it for the whole world, but then we're going to kind of go down down into micro level. What is it, what is it for us personally? Because Advent has something to say to the, to the world, but also has something to say to us. So story story centers around two, two figures, Anna and, and Simeon, both who have, have been longing and, and waiting for the appearance of Messiah for their entire lives. And you get to kind of see what it looks like when that hope is actually consummated. And this idea of waiting, waiting with hope in light of the coming of Jesus is the whole totality of Christian life. life. For everyone that places their faith in, in Jesus, our whole entire journey is in this tension, the salvation that we experience in a moment, and there are all, all kinds of things that are, exist in our lives and our, our stories that don't make makes where we're still waiting for God to break in with hope. And that's exactly what we're going to look, look at as we get the story of Anna and Simeon. The setting of this is the, tem- the temple in Jerusalem. It's 40 days after, after Jesus was already born. Um, um, that means that Jesus was up six week old, old, six weeks old, old, and so as a dad of five, five, ten, uh, I've had a sweet old, old before. I remember it's, it's about that time where you think you're, you're ready to break out, out, maybe visit Target, um, but you're wrong. <laughs> that's not the great idea, but I mean, that, that's about the age that Jesus was. So they came from Bethlehem, Jerusalem. It's about five miles, and I'm, I'm sure whether they were walking or they were on a donkey, that seemed like, like a long way. But they came in the temple, and the reason that's significant is because the hope of the Jewish people is that their Messiah would return to the temple and that the glory of the Lord would once again fill God's people and fill His temple. And that's kind of what we're seeing fulfilled. These two figures that are there kind of as a, uh, a prophetic milestone or their, their signpost to help us understand who Jesus is. So the last several weeks we've been looking at John the Baptist and looking at, at his father and, and mother and all of and Mary and all of all of these people are saying, this is what the Messiah is going to look like when he comes. And Anna and Simeon are saying, listen, this is what it's like when he's here. He's here now. And this just changes everything. And that's kind of the spirit of Advent. We're not just going through the motions. We're not just not just trying to show up and encourage one another in some vain hope. The, the reality is that, that this historical figure that's been into time, time space, and history to our stories, and it makes all the diff- difference as we wait for him in hope. So Anna and Simeon, they represent the, the prophetic longings of God's people. And what it means for us and what it meant to them is that God's not finished with this plan. That he actually deeply cares about the trajectory that we're on as, as people. And he actually cares about our individual story. This is about hope, hope breaking in and filling, filling some really dark spaces, right? I mean, we, th- there's this contrast, and we're celebrated on Christmas Eve between darkness and light. And we've been t- talking about it a lot in my, my house. But the darkness does not overcome the light. Light. light means to shine into, into dark spaces. And for hope to really function, it has to have two real concrete things. Hope for, for us, people of God, cannot be some vague no- notion. Hope isn't to be specific. Hope is meant to be personal. It's meant, meant to be contoured to the very things that you're, you're going through in your life. That's when Advent begins to become good news. So hope 
first means that we have to acknowledge that it's for the broken spaces in our own life, life and our own story. That hope is, is in something that we, we just sugarcoat or we, or we push it off to the side. But we say, listen, I need real hope for this situation. I need real, real hope for this relationship. I need, need real hope for this part of my own, own heart and my own story and my own unbelief. That hope means that it's good news for spaces that exist in our own, our own lives and our own heart. But then, then also that, that hope is meant to break out from the people of God and meant to make a, make a difference. It should forever change how we look at our, our neighborhoods and our families and our city and our, and our nation. That, that God is not finished with our story. Anna and, and Simeon help us understand that, that great Christmas joy to the, the world. What does that mean for us to prepare him room, room in our hearts, right? As we're waiting for him, we're anticipating his coming. It's meant to, to change how we live our lives. And so I want to get really specific. This is kind of where we're headed, headed in 2020, so, so you're going to get a, a preview. The Christian, the Christian faith actually looks like some, some things. It looks like, like practices that we, we put into place. And the only way that I really know, know how to trace out what I actually believe and where I need hope is to, to kind of pull out a journal and a piece of paper. And, and I say, these are the thing, things that I'm going through. And I kind of draw a circle and then I say, well, these are the things that I'm kind of thinking in my mind and in heart. These are the things that God actually says, says and saying. And I have to line up like my own experience with what, what God says. And then I have, a, have a, a, just a real opportunity in that moment. Which, which story am I going to believe? So, so journaling is infinitely helpful in finding find specific hope for the things that you're going, going through. So, I mean, I mean you're going to have probably some, some time off in the next week or so. Don't feel, feel it so full of activity that you don't have, have time to just reflect, see the good news come into those dark spaces. And I think God wants to, to meet there specifically. So Anna and Ian, they had been waiting their whole lives for the, the promised Messiah. But they built their their lives around the fact that God was faithful, that He was was a good actually do the things that He said He was going to do. So they spent spent their days longing, waiting, and watching. And Simeon uses a phrase in verse twenty-five. It says, "Now there was there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for consolation of Israel." That phrase literally means the comfort of Israel. And there's two aspects to comfort. Comfort means like his consolation or his consoling for people, people that are in need or in suffering. But there also is a building up and a strengthening. So, so what Anna and Simeon were longing for, and I think their life and their setting parallels very well. I mean, this was was area that was just absolutely... Rife with political strife, there was oppression, there was suffering, and it was all around them, and people lost hope. This was a time in history when the people of God, honestly, were doing more harm than good, right? I mean, I don't know if you look around, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of that that exists inside our country and our world. But Anne and Simeon, they were kind of waiting for this moment that God would come back to his temple. 
right? And, and now, looking back on the, this side of the story, God no longer dwells in temples that are made human hands, but dwells in you and I, right? We're the temple. So we have, have this wonderful prophetic promise that God is going to come back and He's going to visit the temple with His, with His glory. And that's kind of my prayer for us in Advent is the glory of the Lord would once again return to His temple. That God, God once again rebuild His people. And when we're nearing the end of the year and it's, it's appropriate to give thanks for all the things. And that's, and that's why we're doing videos. All the things that God has done. But, but there should be, as we reflect and we look back, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is and what this represents. For your, your namesake, could you, could you do more, right? Could we see more lives? Could we see you break in, in spaces? And so there's this longing and this tension where we're waiting for God to, to come, come back. And I, think, I think it was appropriate, like inside of the church, if there was, was like a spirit of Anna and Simeon that would come to rest on us. Where they're able to look at what's actually going on in the inside world and see the, the promises God laid over and applied to that. So, I mean, just think about if we collectively as a church were able to be rooted and grounded in the reality and the goodness of this, this world, but so the prom- promises of it, and we were able to function like that. Um, not even, that's how, how we view our city, and that's how we view our families, that's how we view our neighborhood, that, that God actually is going to break in and do, do what he says he's going to do. I, but then we also need people to do, to do that, that for individually. I, I remember, uh, I, bet, I bet you I was no more, more than seven or eight years old, and my mother used to pick up this much older lady. I, I assume she was in her 70s, 80s at the time, and she would just take her to church every week. And she had a dream about me at seven or eight years old, and she told my mom, and my mom told me, it was, it was kind of this picture of me teaching people and leading people, and that, that was a picture, honestly, more for my, my mom, I think, than me, because if you know my story, um, I didn't have anything to do with Jesus for about 20 years of life. I was, I was wild, crazy. I was off doing my own thing. But that, that, that kind of picture seems the reality of what God wants to do in the lives of people. It can serve redemptively. And I, I, think, I think God wants to make us to a group of people are able to, to encourage one another and say, and say, listen, this may be where you are right this moment, you know, and this may be what you're going through, but that's not, that's not the end of the story. And that's what Advent teaches us, that there's a whole new world for the world and there's a whole new hope for us individually. It changes both us, us and cities and the nations. But it also means that the hope of the people of God will, God will never fail. Advent means that the, that the people of God and their hope will never, never fail. Simeon's whole life was rooted in this promise that God's glory and his, his Messiah would come back to the, the temple. So the, so the Spirit leads him to come to the temple at the exact moment that Jesus was there. I mean, can you imagine just waiting for something your entire life? So this is an older man. I mean, I kind of view this like the, this is his, you know, Simba looking moment, moment where he holds Jesus, his hands, you know? I mean, but, but can you imagine like holding salvation in your hands? This is the promised one. 
this is the one that's going to, going to save the whole world. Like, this little baby. I mean, I, I just imagine. I mean, I remember, remember holding my children for the first, first time. And uh, they, they were a mess, right? I mean, but this is the Savior of the world. So there's this, just this real hope. In, in um, m- m- most time, like, I, I don't get into this kind, kind of, but this, this week I saw an ad Facebook book for kind of a Jesus series, you know, like it was going to be like this uh, video, video series. Most of the time I don't like them because they're really cheesy, not well done, and Jesus is some, some stiff figure and, and he's not very human. But for whatever reason, I was just kind of scrolling through and I saw this picture, and it was basically like, like Jesus looking out and, and I think he was touching, touching the woman's caught in an adultery and wiping, wiping the tears off of her face and hugging her. And it for, forced me at that moment to say, listen, listen, like, like, Salvin is here. Here, like he's he's a person, and it and it forced forced me to insert him into my my own story. Like if Jesus were right here in the midst of this problem, that it actually is causing me a lot of grief right now. Right now, and grief. Like what what would he say? Right, and what would Ace look like? And it just makes makes a difference when salvation is not just a concept, but salvation is a person. And that's what we're talking about hope. Hope, hope does ail because his hope is person. Hope's name is Jesus. Hope comes into the world. He's our, our champion. He's our representative. Hope will never fail. And that's, that's why he begins to sing. This is known as Simeon's song. Verses 20, 29 with me. It says, says Lord, now you are, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have paired in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So, to us, it may just sound like kind of a far off, far off promise. To Sim, somebody that's, that's familiar with the, the promises of God, this, this represents all of, all of the Old Testament promises coming, coming true. Like, this, this is what I'm holding in my hand. And these are, these are the, the servant passage in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 42 to 66. And if you want to ha- have a fruitful exercise, you want to make, make Advent feel, um, one of my professors when I was studying just encouraged me to, me to read Isaiah 42 to 66 and everywhere, everywhere it taught the people of God just to insert, insert personal name. And, and what you find throughout there is, is a radical commitment by, by God to meet his, his people over and over and over, despite what they have, right? I mean, Isaiah 42, 2 to 66 is about a servant that comes to, to save a group of people that, have, that are in no, no way to look for him, that have rebelled against him and have failed him in every way, yet he, he keeps coming. That's the good, good news event, and that's, that's the good news of, of this story, that he is a light for revelation to Gentiles. And this means is, is that, I mean, kind of the, the popular belief in God's people, people at that time, you know, just that, that God's promises were, were just for the nation of Israel. But God was saying, listen, listen, this is a radically inclusive gospel. This is good news for all people. People that don't normally go together, Jews and Gentiles, are going to come together in the hope of the, of the light of this Messiah. That this is good news of great joy for all the people. We all get, get in, in on this, that this hope and, and this promised one is here now. This is about Jesus, Jesus making people that don't normally fit together, rather fit together. This is about him, him making outsiders, insiders. 
And so the reason that this random group of people is in this room this morning is because, because we are united around who Jesus is. It's not our own common self-interest. It's this idea that the story over, over 2,000 years ago has brought us together. That, that God had a deep passion to see, to see the God go and to shape all people all ethnicities, all nations, right? And that's still the, still the hope of it because that's, that's, that's not totally what we experience. It's like I've traveled all around the globe and you can just travel, travel around the city. That, there's a lot of work to be done. So we, we need the light of Advent to come, come in and begin to shine light on, on some of those dark spaces. But, but this is that we have peace with God. And I think my, my prayer... Is just just that as you as you all leave here, here and you step into family situations that that are less than ideal, and they're less than ideal for most everyone in this room, I would assume, um, that you would be equipped to shine the light of who he is into the spaces. Right? That doesn't come automatically, but it does come um, as we place our real hope. In who, who he is and what he came to do, that it actually be, begins to shine his light. So his, his light will shine through, through you. So the hope of God's people will never fail because hope is a person and he's seated everywhere that we, we have failed. And then my final, my final point is the cost of Advent. Although though it comes abs- absolutely to us, there is a real co- cost involved with Advent. And Sim begins to, to kind of prophesy about who, who Jesus is and what his life will be like. I usually, at Christmas time, I have lots of people over, and I normally ask people what the, the, their favorite gift that they've ever received for Christmas is. You know, kind of have the, the Phoebe begun, seen in the back of my mind. And, and uh, oftentimes, oftentimes, don't. I don't reflect on that as much for myself, but as I was preparing this week, I just thought about this this one time. Um, um, my parents, parents and I, we really didn't have a lot when I grew up. Grew up. There was this one Christmas in particular where they, um, I was old enough to remember that the gifts that they, they were giving me, they weren't new. They kind of were refurbished. And, and now looking back, that deeply touches touches at the cost of that, and it ended up being one of the best Christmases. You know, it was simple and it was beautiful, beautiful. And it was pure, pure. And sometimes it's the the cost of the of the thing, not the monetary value, the the thought that's put into that. And that's kind of what we celebrate over these holidays. Um, it's the same way from God's perspective. What Advent so so beautiful. Is that that God gave His only Son? That God is generous, and He's a, a giver, and He's entered into the story. So the real cost. Um, but what we we see uh, in uh, in verses four and, th- and thirty five is that Jesus is the dividing line line of humanity. Like how we respond to Him matters. Look at verse thirty four. First, Simeon begins to prophesy to Mary, the mother of Jesus. He says. And Simeon blessed them and to marry his mother. Behold, this child is appointed fall and rising of many, many Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a word will pierce your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And so what Simeon is saying there is that Jesus is the dividing line of humanity. 
Some people, he's going to be the chief cornerstone on which people build their lives. And they're going to be able to grow and they're able to endure. And then for other people, Jesus is going to be a stumbling block of offense. I mean, for, I mean, for Christmas, I mean, I mean, you have to roll with this. For Christmas to be good news, you have to embrace the offense of Christmas. Right? You actually have to admit that you need a Savior. You actually have to humble yourself and say, listen, apart from Him, I don't have any. Apart from this idea that this baby comes into the world to die for the sin and the imperfections of the world, and He came to die for my sins and my imperfections, so we can embrace that personally, the offensive, it doesn't become good news. So, so people that embrace that, they find salvation, and the people that reject that, Say, hey, listen, I'm going to do this on, on my own or I'm work on my own religious performance or I, I just think I'm a, I'm a good person. Those, those people that don't benefit from His coming. So there, Jesus is the divine line of all humanity. But then there's a cost to Mary personally. He says, a sword is going to pierce through your, through your soul. And that's a picture of the, the kind of death that Jesus is going to die. That this tiny baby that came into the world was born today. That this sword, the, 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 the baby that Simeon held in his hands was one day Mary would embrace at the foot of the cross as he's already given his life for a ransom for all of mankind. That there is, there is a real, real cost associated with Advent. Right? Right? So as we sing about His mercy and His grace, it comes to us radically free, free and we get set free. But for him, him, it came at an infinite cost as He laid down His, his life. And Advent, it looks forward to the day. And um, My son Haddon, he's 10. He prayed it at the prayer meeting this morning. morning that God's going to make everything new. That, that there's going to be a day when He wipes away, away every tear from our eyes. He personally comforts and, and consoles us. And that's what we're lo- looking forward to in, in light of the fact that God, God came into the world and He gave His only Son. I'm just going to close with, with this. There is also a prophetess in this, Nana. Let's look at verses 36 to 38. And there were prophetess Anna, daughter of Phanuel, of the tri- tribe of Ash, she was advanced in years, having lived lived husband seven years, years from when she was a virgin. And then as a, was a widow until she was 84, she did, did, she did, did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that, that very hour, she began, began to give thanks to God and to speak of him all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. And so Anna, this and this lady that spent her whole life at the temple waiting on, on the Lord. She sees Jesus come into the temple. The glory of the Lord returns. And she, she becomes first evangelist. Like she's t- telling all the people that are camped out inside the t- temple area waiting for the return of Jesus or waiting for the return of God to his temple. And she's saying, he's here. This is what he looks like. And so that's the message of Advent. We're going to go out equipped, equipped this to proclaim to people. He is here. It makes all the difference. There's hope for your situation, right? And, and my wife and I, I mean, there, I mean, 
there's just not a day that goes goes by that we don't encounter some form of brokenness, whether it's in our own family or relational network. And we need to remind each other of these truths over and over again, that there's, there's good news for dark spaces. And I love that there's a group of people waiting at the t- temple for the glory of God to return. What would it be like if we finished out this year and began the new year? A group of people waiting for the glory of God, God to return to, to his people, right? That's the idea of a remnant. People that are tuned and people that are waiting for, for Jesus to come and to, to fill us. Let's um, just be, be able to use us. So that's our great, great hope in the midst of ad- Advent. Right. Father, Father, I thank you for your, your love for us. I thank you salvation is here. I think, thank you that we can wait with hope because you didn't spare your, your own son. You gave up for us all. I pray that um, for this right now that, that have never, never really found life and peace in you, that you would uh, open their eyes so that they could turn, believe, and repent. For those who have embraced Jesus, I pray that you would give them contoured mercies, what they're walking through. I pray that the Advent shine light into the darkness, um, that we would be able to encounter you in the fullness of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Ad. Thank you for serving us, leading us. So this is our time of response, and we believe this is the most important time of the service. We believe that God has been working from the moment we walked into the room, and this is when we respond. So there's a couple of ways to do that. Um, one is is that to come, to come in prayer. Uh, Chad talk, talked about waiting and needing hope, hope to, to arise. And, and so if you want pray, prayer this morning about just for perseverance to wait, um, and if you need uh, just a, a fresh faith to have hope, this morning in our prayer meeting, uh, we talked a lot of family. Uh, that's something that's synonymous with Christmas, and that is, is just family, and things come out. There's, there's the weight of expectations. There's just an angst, and, and the whole meaning of Christmas can be lost because we're trying to make everybody happy. And so you want prayer for just hope in that and just need sort of have the cloud uh, broke through, through the, as the light come through, come and receive prayer. I will be up here. Uh, so the Sims will be uh, over here. And uh, for communion, uh, I'm going to read a traditional verse to get us, get us, get us started, started here. Uh, it's in First Corinthians ch- chapter 11, starting verse 20, 23. As, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus... On the night when he was, he was prayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same, same way, he also took the cup after saying, uh, supper, saying, This is, is the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often, often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so I said this a moment ago, but, the, but there's something about the holiday season that disorients, that disorders everything. Thing. There's this great sense of disillusion. Maybe I'm the only, only one in the room that have, has this. I know that I'm, that I'm supposed to be happy and excited about Jesus coming 
uh, and, and I can just kind of get lost. I mentioned the family thing, but there's something that I think cures that, and that is gratitude and thank thankfulness. So when you come to table this morning, come with a heart of gratitude. That this baby that we are about to celebrate, Chad's Chad spoke about, he came to die. He came to die for your sins. He came to die for the dysfunction in your family. He came to die for your failures of how you've tried to love your family. He came to, to die for your anxiety about your family situation. So that's the kind of hearts we want to have when we come here. So there's a, is Thanksgiving and gratitude. Nothing's this more than that. So, so a couple of more practical instructions. If you would like to take part, part. In communion, there are two stations up here, two stations in the back, the back and uh, we'll pray and we can come as you're ready. Father God, we thank you uh, for your, your presence here, God. Yeah, that's what <clears throat> defines who we are, is that we are one, and in your presence, God, uh, uh, you are with us. And so you have been helping, helping us, and you revealing truth to us, God, through music and through song. God, I just pray that it would all, all culminate right now, that it all culminated in this mo moment when we come and we respond either through prayer or through coming to the table of thanksgiving to ground us in the fact that you came to die, that you came to lay down your, your life, offer your, your body, and, and to forgive our sins through your blood. Be with us, help us, us final moments, God. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come as you're ready.